Welcome to the 3v3 Podcast, your socially distanced hockey chat show. Here are your hosts, Cassie, Pat, and Patrick. So we are recording with a member short today. Um, we are missing Patrick, but Pat and I are continuing on and hopefully we'll have Patrick back next week. He's on the IR. Um, so I had asked the question the last episode and I had reworded it um, so it made more sense. <laughs> Wasn't exactly how I asked it. Mm-hmm. Um what do you consider an old team, a core of old players, or the average age of the entire roster? Thank you for rewording it, because it made a lot more sense for me when I was thinking about this earlier today. I think it's all to do with the core. Okay. It's all about who is getting the bulk of your minutes and the responsibility. Because I can look at, I'm just going to use Toronto as an example. They just signed a bunch of quote unquote old players to new or first time contracts, but they have a young core. The guys that are getting predominantly 20 plus minutes all, you know, minus John Tavares are sub 25, just starting to enter the primes of their careers. The team's average age might be up there now. But, you know, when it comes down to the players that matter the most and you'll talk about for half a decade to a decade, it's the young kids. Conversely, I'll talk about Pittsburgh as being an old team. I don't care how many new younger players they put into the roster. They're still relying on old players and and to a bit of a lesser extent, Boston's in the same category. And that's why I think we're going to see them, especially in this bizarro world season that we're just starting. Traditionally strong teams are going to crater faster than we've seen in the past. Unlike the San Jose Sharks, for example. (laughs) Where their decline, it seemed abrupt, but it really wasn't. They made, they just happened to make a, a finals playoff run one year. And then, you know, the legs were taken out from under them. So I had asked this question because I'd seen someone on Twitter make a comment that, that referred to this sort of situation where they thought the the core of the team was what you should consider old versus the entire roster. But a lot of people, especially at the start of NHL seasons, like, well, any level really, like to make um, lists about the average age of the entire roster, which doesn't seem like it has any meaning, but people like doing it anyway. Um, So I personally don't have an opinion on this. Um, I just... I don't care how old someone is. If they can play, then they can play. And that's all I care about. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like Sidney Crosby is a, is an example. He is considered a quote unquote old player. He's what? 33, 34. And, you know, no one questions whether he can play or not. So it doesn't really matter if he's quote unquote old. Um, so yeah, that doesn't it has no real meaning for me personally. Yeah. Until the typical hockey man thing happens in certain players' careers where they're not very productive and then all the excuses come out of the woodworks for said players like Crosby. Thankfully, you know, he hasn't shown any any decline really in recent years, which is great. Yeah, because that's all we'll hear about, right? <laughs> Uh, sure. <laughs> once he does, once he starts like hitting that like ever so slight decline before he just tanks, um, or an injury takes him off, however that all plays out for him, uh, yeah, it'll be the. But oh, enough we... about the Philly media, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I think I mean the media needs talking points. They need something to like discuss. It's usually a long season. Thankfully, it's not that long this year. Um, But, you know, they have to have something to talk about. And this is one of those things where it's like, oh, well, no one's brought up age in a while. Let's bring up age. And it's like, 
okay, what does that have to do with the price of tea in China? I don't know. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's a, it's kind of a ridiculous thing to discuss. I think it's whether someone is producing or not that matters. And, and let's be honest, players who, who are starting to like, you know, hidden hit whatever age, cause it happens at frankly any age. Um, and they're not producing as much as they used to. It could be just how the coach is using them and not necessarily their ability. But nobody ever talks about that. <laughs> no, because that, that's too nuanced and takes effort and explanation. And the coach is never wrong unless you're reading into the way, I don't know, David Quinn or, um, you know, how David Quinn is deciding who is in and out of his lineup in in New York or the way things on the Buffalo Sabres uh, line combinations are sent out from practices every day. You know, no one's overreacting to those two games in the season, are they? <laughs> things like that just kill me. They just, they, it's, and I tweeted about this like uh, an hour or so ago, a couple hours ago. And coaches give other coaches way too much credit when it comes mm -hmm. to these things. Because it's like most coaches can't even figure out their own lineup changes from game to game to like fix their own problems. What does another coach think that they're going to believe, you know, they're going to take, oh, who's the starting goalie in net for the other team is going to change anything, right? I mean. Or, or conversely, it's not mentioning who the starting goalie is, is, is really going to give your team a, a huge advantage come <laughs> warmups when a coach has time to sit down, say, Oh, you're going to be the starter for, for the opposition. Okay. Here's what we need to do. Okay. So here's the thing, especially with goalies. When was the last time anybody watched an NHL game where the starting goalie went out with an injury, they put in another goalie, and the opposing team changed up their lines and changed up their game plan because they had a new goalie in net. Never. Exactly. So, I mean, who who is going to be doing that before a game? It's like, oh, it's, it's Dave the game. I'm going to put this guy in net. The other team isn't going to care. They're going to be like, well, we're just going to play our game and we're just going to play it our way and we're just going to be successful doing our own thing. And it's like, all right, <laughs> so why are you keeping it quiet again? And, and why is every you know decision that a, a fan can discern from what we see run contrary to what you just said? It's, it's kind of hilarious because – You'll hear players say, yeah, we get some pre-scouting reports on both A-team's goalies, or now I guess this season, all three goalies. Because, um, well, if you're the Edmonton Oilers, you may, you might have to uh, start paying your scouting staff overtime for all the goalies they may or may not have to use. <laughs> it, it's Everyone's just, a goalie. <laughs> it's just all overthought. It's Well, it's... NHL coaches see coaches in other other sports do that, right? Baseball. Baseball is notorious for this. Well, I'm not going to name my starting pitcher because, you know, especially in playoffs. Or, you know, NFL. Oh, I'm not going not gonna to name my – my starting quarterback is out. I'm not going to name who's going to be in there next, yes. right? But the thing that they fail to understand is that those – those sports will adjust mid-game to different things going on on their fields. Hockey doesn't adjust until, and if they do, it's usually the next day after they've watched video. Exactly. So announcing something the morning of the game isn't going to change Jack. It's not the other coach, even if the other coach hears about it, and there's no guarantee that he would, unless someone in the media mentions it during a press conference. It doesn't matter. They're not going to adjust because they're just going to, quote unquote, play their game. Yes. 
Other sports have the benefit of being event driven to the point where we can look at a single clip of an event and make decisions one way or another. Like you'll see a repeated pattern from a football team. They'll run a specific play and you can plan for that specific play. There are way too many singular events in hockey for an individual, let alone, you know, a staff of individuals to account for all of them. It's just, it's a waste of time and doesn't make any sense. But that's still the way they operate. Like, all these little things matter. They give other coaches too much credit. It's just mm-hmm. hilarious. I, and, and, you know, the media makes a lot of it. They're like, why is the coach not giving out who their starting, starting goalie is? It doesn't matter. And the coaches are like, oh, hush, hush. We have to keep this quiet or else. And it's like, uh-huh. Do you adjust your power play in the middle of the game when it's not working? No. <laughs> So what are you going to do with uh, finding out about your goal, about the opposing goalie? Nothing. I mean, (laughs) it makes no difference because I mean, it doesn't dictate how, if a puck is going to stay flat for players on passes or if it's bouncing all around, you know? Yeah. I I mean, it's even weirder though, that the players don't try to self adjust. It's one thing for the coaches to have their brains stuck in, you know, like crystalline structures that aren't adaptable, but, mm-hmm. but players, I guess, I guess it goes back to what we keep talking about is that they've all been, they've all been, um, um, cowed into doing exactly what the coach tells them. Well, the cow, the coach has the hammer that is ice time. And mm-hmm. even though it's serving the coach, no benefit to, limit or not play certain players in certain places. And I will admit, you know, there's a lot of things that we just don't know or don't see behind the scenes. Like if, if someone is acting, behaving like Tony and Tony D'Angelo has on social media, say behind the scenes is a complete malcontent, not disobedient, subordinate, disobedient. Yes, that that's the word I was looking for. Uh, English language is hard. I must be a former hockey player. Yeah. Oh, um, I can't you know, speak good. <laughs> never kid, never will. Uh, but th- yeah, there's some little things like that. So when you see a Jeff Skinner on the fourth line, there's probably reason for that now. Him not playing with Eric Stahl, like everyone that never watched a Carolina Hurricanes uh, game before thought was going to happen. Yeah, I'm not surprised this is happening the way it's happening. Now, why it's taken, you know, three seasons into this is the third season of Ralph Kruger in Buffalo, if I'm not mistaken. Or no, this is only a second. No, this is his third season. Um, No, it's his second. Yeah, the whole thing in Edmonton and, and Toronto last summer just kind of like it, throws it, you off. Yeah. So it's like an old its own season, but it was actually the end of last season. Yeah. So you, you take a player that scored 40 goals playing with a specific player, you break up those two players, and everyone's shocked by the results. Well, every player in the NHL is super talented. And if you, you know, gave Jack Eichel any sets of wingers, just like how many career years Jonathan Tavares created for future Buffalo Sabres back when he played in Long Island. Hello, you know, Matt Molson and, <laughs> you know, Kyle Ocposo and so on. But players like that, anyone who's played with Sidney Crosby for a period of time, they have these real big, you know, career years and then you take him away from said great talent and it's just like oh here's a player that's easier to defend against and oh you can't score 40 goals anymore it it's there's just kind of a group think mentality when it comes to coaches where you're sometimes you are overthinking a situation trying to balance out a lineup and sometimes the player just might be a 
pain behind the scenes and we just don't have a full picture. That being wait, wait, said, wait. Are you saying are you saying that that hiring head coaches who are former teammates and or related to you somehow doesn't give you necessarily the best possible head coach you could hire? Is that what you're saying? I think I might be. Mm, okay, good, good. Go on. I'm sorry. And then, and then perhaps a coaching staff doesn't need five individuals to over-scout and analyze things on a daily basis. I know why that's happened. I know why the Torontos of the world have ballooned their staffs and almost single-handedly with the with the help of Chicago during you know their cup runs in the early early tens. Um, you throw a bunch of money at success, but that doesn't, you're always to, paying, paying for past results. They're trying to emulate football where each position has a coach. What they're missing is that that only applies to, so in, in, in the NFL, you have an offense and you have a defense and almost never do the two mix. Right. In high school, most guys play both on offense and defense. But in the NFL and in, usually in college, it's you are either an offensive player or you're a defensive player. There is a, not a lot of overlap there. And so the defense, you know, doesn't have a, a, that many coaches because they're totally reactionary. Mm -hmm. They are just there to do to take care of what they expect the other team to do. They don't have set plays. They don't have any of that going on. The offense is incredibly regimented. So you have, you know, you have your offensive line coach and you have your quarterbacks coach and you have your wide receivers coach and you have your running backs coach. And then you have your, offensive coordinator to like oversee all of that. And then you have the head coach yeah. and frankly, that's completely overdone as it is too. And so it is, but at least football can justify by saying there are actually ind individual and unique skill sets to do these individual tasks. Right. And hockey, in hockey, it's, it's a, it's a polar opposite. Yes. A defender and a winger or should, based on the constructs of systems that these guys have galaxy brain time and time again, yes, they should be positioned differently on the ice and be looking for slightly different things when they're, say, on defense. But physically, they're doing the exact same stuff right. based within a box that they've been placed in. See, metaphorically, the problem that hockey has is they're looking at football as their model. They should be looking at basketball as their model. Yes. And one of the great things I'm, you know, one of the benefits for me has been being home all this time for the past, you know, 300 plus days of March has been, I've been able to watch a little more basketball and it's been refreshing because as a kid, I used to love it. Uh, primarily, I lived in a college town and followed college basketball. But what the coaches are doing there is they they play their best players, but they manage them to get the most out of them. Main, meaning, if a guy looks tired, you bring him out and you substitute him for what might be key parts of a game where you need to rely on your talent the most. You know, you make sure a player doesn't follow out. So so you manage their time, but you put them in the position to do the best they can, primarily offensively. Right. And, and I mean, the positions line up outside of the goaltender, because goaltending in basketball is illegal. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the positions line up like they do in hockey. Um, you don't have, like, 50 million coaches you have to have more players in hockey than basketball because hockey, skating is a, an anaerobic and aerobic thing so that people tire out faster. So you need substitutions more often. Um, but still, 
you know, it's a similar situation. You have you have a five man unit or not. If you don't want to, you have um, three forwards, which you know sometimes it's a pair of forwards and they they switch the winger out periodically, or sometimes it's all three. You have a couple of people down low. Um, you know, so so there's a lot of like characteristics that you can carry over from basketball into hockey. Having played both, I saw that almost immediately. <laughs> um, but instead, the you know NHL coaches are looking to the NFL, and the NFL has nothing to do with hockey. Nothing. The only thing they have in common is hitting, and that is it. And the amount of time they've been drawing from football, doesn't it feel like there are just more whistles in the game of in the NHL game now than there have ever been? Yeah. I mean, how when was the last time? I mean, how often do you see unbroken play going? I mean, let me let me rephrase this. How often do you see a period of hockey where you have basically your two time, you know, commercial timeouts. And that's the only time that you have stoppages. I mean, the only time I can say that is, you know, at 12.05 a.m. when I'm playing in rec league and the two officials on the ice are tired and they're waving off every icing call because one, they don't want to pick up the puck because they've just worked three games. And two, it's late. Let's get out of here and let's just play. So never in the NHL. The, the most likely time to see it, if if or anything that comes close to that, is playoffs, where the officials, quote unquote, don't want to decide the game, so they end up keeping their whistles in their pockets, which ends up deciding the game anyway, whether they like it or not. Um, and they just let players play and they let things go because, you know, they don't want to seem like they're the deciding factor. And, and that's it. Pretty much. I mean, and even then, that's not that common. Right. It's And it's the former coaches, former players that become general managers that put in all the rules to, quote unquote, control situations, which you can do in the game of football. You, you can dictate the players that are on the field for individual plays. You can make the play calls on both sides of, of the ball, both Line on of offense and defense. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't have that control in a flow game. You know, basketball, they can play up tempo, but they can also play a slower pace. Hockey, it's just freeform. You can't dictate when one thing happens. It's all situational. <laughs> and until we get to a point where we're willing to give up control to the players and let talent dictate what happens, we're just going to be in this cyclical pattern of, we're going to get mad at, you know, certain coaches, certain organizations for scratching star players and wonder why they go succeed when they play for said other team, said other coach, and it magically just kind of works out. And then conversely, we're going to get mad when players like the aforementioned Josh Hosang don't really work out because there just comes a point where, you know, you're in the NHL, you're not being taught anything new. You're, you're, there's already a fine line between the talent gap between you and a Connor McDavid, whether anyone wants to admit that or not, because they are the 1% of the 1% of the 1% of hockey players. To make it to the NHL, you have to be an all-star player in junior or college. Yes. And then somewhere along the way, the coaches have gotten lazy where they just rely on your talent to do something. And then they get to a point where the complete opposite is happening. You need to do exactly what I say in exactly these situations. And it's just not a binary game. It's, it's not a one or a zero. It's a, well, here are five things that could happen. Let me just put myself in a certain spot and see what happens. Well, see, and the thing that I have never understood with coaches, NHL coaches, thinking that somehow they can translate the NFL into hockey 
just baffles me. It's the fact that, so hockey, everyone's moving for 60 minutes, right? In football, it's 11 minutes out of that 60 that there's actually mm -hmm. movement going on, period. You know, on average, your average NFL game, there is 11 minutes of actual action being played yeah. out of out of the 60 on the clock. And so um, why do they think that that's translatable? I mean, I, I understand why they think they want it to be translatable because NFL coaches seem to have absolute control over their teams, which is not not really the case. And NFLers seem to be better prepared, but coaches actually still coach in the NFL and they try not to in the NHL. So I don't know where they're getting that. And um, they have set plays and and everything is organized and you can't do that in a free flowing game like hockey. I just don't. I mean, they look at the NFL, at the NFL and think this is the most popular sport in the country. How can we make hockey like that? And that's why they do it. But the reality is, it's a bad effing fit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Whereas conversely, you could look at the most popular sport in the world, in you know soccer or football, and see. Oh, here's a free-flowing game where there's continuous play for 90-plus minutes, mm -hmm. give or take. And what is the coach really doing in those situations? Okay, he, might, he or she might deliver a moment of insight to a player who happens to be on the sideline near them at a given moment or might make a substitution at a moment during the game. But that's it. A coach's work really should come before a game in hockey. And then during the game, you're just there to manage the players. So far as this is when you go out, let me make sure you're not sitting on the bench for 10 minutes. Let's make sure it's only four or five minutes between shifts at most. So I can get the, so you can be in the optimal space to make something happen. Where it's a complete opposite. It, it's all let let's interject a bunch of game theory and all this other nonsense to a free flowing game. Well, and it comes down to the coaches don't trust their players, and that's and partly that's because the coaches are insecure about their own jobs because their GM doesn't trust their coach, and. The GM doesn't trust, is insecure in his job because there's so much turnover in hockey. And a lot of that is because of the nepotism, because you're not getting the best possible candidate for, for any job. And uh, instead, you're going with the best possible candidate that you know, mm -hmm. which may not be the best person for the job. Yeah. And then, like you said, coaches are lazy. They don't want to coach. They don't want to like reassess their talent. They don't want to um, actually scout their own talent. They just want plug and play, let's go and win. And they yeah. don't want to think about it. They don't want to do anything more than they have to. And if they feel like they're doing more than they have to, they're hiring like five other coaches to help them out because suddenly it's just too much for them. When in reality, if they have to hire five other coaches, then they are incompetent. Yeah, throwing <laughs> hours at a situation such as scouting doesn't constitute work. It's just you're keeping yourself busy. It doesn't mean what you're doing is producing more or less positives for your for your team in their next game. You could probably do some of the same work in <clears throat> let's say an hour that you're spending eight or nine hours and a bunch of late nights doing, but somewhere along the lines, you kind of have to justify your quote unquote hustle and how much you put into your thinking and believing and whatever nonsense. It's very similar to just corporate America where people are, you know, white collar jobs and you're, you're in the office all the time and God forbid you have a work-life balance and yada, yada, yada. All these falsehoods that we're seeing coming crumbling in certain sectors, at least in the U.S. economy right now. There's just so many parallels between that and, and the game of hockey where 
coaches in minor league levels, kids that are, you know, under eight years old, you're teaching them power plays. You're teaching them systems when they can barely, uh, you know, move faster than two miles an hour. It's just our priorities are messed up. And we're just regurgitating the same stuff time in, time again. And if, if you look at, if you ever go to an NHL practice, what are the coaches doing? Seriously, they're running drills and they're doing scrimmages. How is that even coaching? It's not. It's coaches always were teachers once upon a time. And that stopped a long time ago in professional sports. It really did. Once again, I think you can look at basketball. And when I see videos of basketball practices where there, there's an aerobic aspect to every practice. It's just a conditioning thing. But when you, you stop and you break down situations, okay, you're here, you get the ball here, go into hockey, you get the puck here. What are you doing? Here's what you need to be looking for. There need to be teaching moments instead of running you through motions. Because what happens when a play happens differently than the two or three motions that we set up during practice? I don't know. I mean, so even even football, even football, NFL, they coach. They actually mm-hmm. coach their players. They actually pull guys aside during practice and be like, so when you did that, did you see how that happened? And do you realize that when you do this, you should be doing that? And, you know, you see that. Mm-hmm. You see that the NFL coaches are actually coaching. And rarely do you get that out of NF- NHL coaches. Almost never. I mean, and usually if it happens, it's like a younger star player who's only been, who's like in their first year and the coach is like, okay, you're not, or, and particularly if they're coming from junior hockey and they're not coming from the AHL. And, you know, they're usually doing the, okay, so did you see what happened there kind of thing? Mm-hmm. And, and that's it. You don't, I mean, even, even veterans need coaching every now and then, especially if they're on a new team and they're learning a new system or they're learning a new way of, you know, they have a new coach and they're learning what the coach wants. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Here's a great example of that. So I have watched most of New Jersey's first few games to start the season. Specifically because I was interested to see how P.K. Subban would look playing this year. Apparently, he's adjusted his off-season training regimen. He's a player now in his early 30s who... He's just not as fast as he used to be. He's not as fast as the younger, more skilled forward talent, even on his own club coming up. So here's a player who needs to adjust. And he looks physically different to me. He looks a little slimmer and he looks a little quicker. But his skating is still pretty... It it, kind of makes me cringe. And I see a lot of teachable technical things that as a coach I could probably like me being a you know yes I'm a quote-unquote certified coach whatever whatever yes I work with kids I could probably work with him for 30 minutes and give him just one or two things that might actually help him in an actual game that he's probably not getting from the coaching staff of the devils right now where older defensemen that once upon a time, they were puck movers. And now it's it, it's it's becoming a cliche to rip on the Eric Carlson's, the Drew Dowdy's, the P.K. Subans, he, who were put up in such high regard, you know, in their early and mid-20s. And now everyone thinks they're garbage because they reach some sort of aging curve. Whereas really, they just need some adjustments. Say, all right, here's what your body can do. Here are a few technical things that will make you more efficient at these things that used to come easy to you. Right. Or going about a different way to do the same thing. Yeah. Like some, honestly, like four or five practices of edge work in certain spots on the ice for PK Subban 
would allow him to probably skate the puck up again. Because when he's skating forwards, and this is a lot like uh, Eric Carlson in San Jose through all the injuries. When he's skating forwards, he looks like one player. When he's skating backwards or his feet are still, he's a completely different talent or liability. And that's that's the thing, too, is that, you know, I've always believed, and usually this is is the reason for, to, to me anyway, why teams go through slumps. It's because everyone's gotten sloppy. Mm -hmm. And you have coaches who are looking at their veteran players thinking, oh, they don't need coaching. They know what they need to do. And which is just sloppy thinking. It starts with the coach having sloppy thinking and it lets the players get sloppy. And so all you need to do for the most part to get out of a slump is to start working on fundamentals like, you know, crisp passing, edges, positioning, you know, just to remind people of where they need to be and and what what needs to happen. And nine times out of 10, they're going to be out of their slump. Yeah. Right. And so it's usually everyone's like, oh, nothing's going right for this team. They can't seem to like get a stick on anything. And I'm like, that's because they're sloppy. And I really honestly believe that every team, every hockey team, including NHL teams, needs to do like one or two days of fundamentals at least twice a year, you know, to keep up, to keep up that, that crispness, that being on top of things and everybody, I don't care how long you've been playing hockey. I don't care how long you've been in any league. If you go through like a day or two of just like, really basic fundamentals mm-hmm. that that will clear up like 50 million things that are wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's fundamentals are probably 90% of the game. And I happen to work in an industry where my job now, yes, they are complex to someone who's never gone through them, but I use fundamentals 90% of the time. The other 10% is dealing with all this other new and crazy ways of thinking and group think frameworks and all this other nonsense that mirrors itself in coaching. It's just, we're worried about this, this minutia when it's really okay. Young forward who quote unquote needs to learn the other side of the puck well, you're a good skater, but you're spending way too much time taking these nice wide turns and you're spinning around too much. Instead, I'd like to take you and just point your toes at the puck when you're in the defensive zone and just keep turning your head. I'd be amazed to see what a young forward like a Jack Hughes, just since I've I've seen him play a little bit. Um, And specifically, I've seen this out of Marty Nakash or nhs however the pr team wants you know the playback player yeah basically (laughs) however the team and however the player wants us to pronounce his name this season um here's a guy he's fast he has a great skill set but we're not having him focus on little things we're just having him go through motions of patterns and routines as a team and not as an individual like here slow down do this one thing because outside of a face-off and then, you know, the goalies are their own animal. When are they doing these little things for individual players? I mean, they do have, like, occasionally a team will bring in um, a skating coach to work with guys. But it's usually younger guys. It's, it's usually like, younger guys, and it's usually as a group. Right. Whereas I'd rather see you... I, here's your big group practice to go through the team oriented things. And then afterwards it's okay. Your healthy scratches get a little extra work in. How about on your off days, let me take two or three skaters at a time and let's just work on this one day a week. And then I'll grab another two, three guys the next day with their skills. People, all the quote unquote development staffs, in these NHL organizations seem to be dedicated to working with the minor league players. Yeah. Well, and yet they, they're not good at developing minor league players. <laughs> that's a, that's a whole separate can of worms as we've mm-hmm. talked about. If, you know, maybe a little more investment in the NA or in the AHL could play, 
pay bigger dividends for what they're creating at the NHL level. But we'll rehash that probably a month from now because that's a that's a fun trope of mine to go down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it all just comes down to, like, being paranoid of being fired and laziness. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what it comes down to for most NHL coaches. Yeah, it's why coaches do play favorites or do hold grudges. I mean, it's just, it makes sense. It's self-preservation. No one wants to be fired. No one wants to, you want to think that your way of thinking is the best way to do things, or else I wouldn't be one of the 31 individuals in charge of, you know, in this job. Mm-hmm. But it's just, take a step back. Maybe I'm not as self-important as I think I am or as I've been led to believe. And I think that's the bigger issue. Starting to believe their own publicity. (laughs) Yeah, or just what everyone says about you and how you're supposed to do this job. It's just, you're coaching a very simple sport at the end of the day, but we overcomplicate it with all this outside stuff. And I keep coming back to John Cooper with this because... John Cooper, when he was an AHL coach, was very good at teaching hockey. He was amazing at it. He, he, I think really that's his calling is to be a minor league coach trying to like help guys make the big leagues. However, as soon as he got into the big leagues, he got into the NHL, he stopped teaching entirely and Mm -hmm. he expected He expected players being called up that they should know what they're doing without being told a damn thing. And every facet of the NHL business says that that shouldn't be the case. That, yes, you still have to train these younger players because they're not going through the full process that you, as the once and former AHL coach, were doing with those players. We have kids coming up younger and younger because of the salary cap, because cost certainty, yada, yada, yada. All these business decisions run counter to the way NHL coaching used to be. And it's even the same here in a Carolina market where you have a coach that kind of went on the record saying, this is kind of the only job. I'm not going to be a career coach, but he still does some of the same things being Brad Brendamore where he he plays favorites. He doesn't know. He hasn't shown to me as a viewer necessarily the ability to teach certain skills to certain individuals at times. And it takes a long time to see a progression from one player that's, say, new to his roster to someone he's been around for years and years and years. Well, and this is why this is why. Younger players coming into the NHL and older players who, you know, due to the wear and tear of playing hockey all their life are, you know, are in decline, um, aren't as good as they could be. So, you know, if you have a coach who's willing to coach in the NHL, you're going to have you're, you're going to have fewer busts coming up from the AHL, and you're going to have fewer veterans who have to retire at, like, 35 because suddenly they can't play anymore. Mm-hmm. You know? So, so if a coach is willing to put in a little bit of work, a little bit of effort, and actually coach, you know, you're going to have – you're going to have a much more stable organization overall. Okay. You're, you're not going to have as much turnover on your staff. You're not going to have as much turnover on the ice. You're not going to have to trade so much. You know, it's, it's, it's a much stabler environment for everybody involved. But, of course, that requires a little more time, a little more effort, a little more interest in what other people are doing. And when these players are brought up, you know, 90, 95% the exact same way, no matter what country, what program, what development system, whether it's been college in the U.S., junior hockey, playing men's pro over in Europe, they're all kind of doing the same things. It's just what is the level of competition they're going up against at these points? It's all kind of the same. It makes you wonder 
Why do coaches that are mid-season replacements win the Stanley Cup so much in recent history? Because they haven't dig, dug their claws into the to the group think and overanalyzing things. They're they're just now in a position. Okay, I can't plan out exactly how I want everything to go. Let me just read and react to what I'm seeing. Which actually does a disservice to the coach himself or mm-hmm. herself, as the case should be, um, because the problem with doing everything the same way as everybody else is that you're replaceable. You know, if you're like doing everything the same way as everyone else, then if it's not working for you, they can fire you and put someone else in that position and it should be fine. If you're actually taking risks, taking chances, doing what I, you know, doing the actual coaching, doing the actual assessing, being more, you know, involved in how the team is run on a day-to-day basis in terms of like player personnel and and playing games and such, then you're less replaceable. Yeah. You're not going to get someone who, you know, a GM's going to be looking at that going, okay, well, you're doing stuff that I've never seen a coach do before and you're getting good results and you might be in a slump right now or we may not have made playoffs this year, but everybody else is doing the same old stuff and they're not getting as much out of their players as you are. So maybe I'll give you another year. Mm-hmm. It, it It's like, why is Mitch Korn constantly working with Barry Trotz? Maybe right. Trotz isn't the same coach without Korn around, you know, they just have something that seems to be working. You can't argue with the results. It kind of makes them tough to replace. Right. So, I mean, the whole thing, it's self-defeating, right? I mean, you take the easy path and you end up shooting yourself in the foot. Mm-hmm. That's true of most things in life. Um, you actually innovate, take a risk, take a chance um, to complete the musical phrase, make a change. Uh, and, you know maybe you're not so replaceable. But right now they're all they're all cookie cutters, including Cooper, who wasn't actually like a um a nepotism hire, you know, they actually hired, you know, Iserman hired him outside of the normal like retreads. Um but they're all the same. They yeah. all do the same things. They all do it the same way and they all end up, I mean, you know, to varying degrees, of course, and they all like end up screwing over the younger players and screwing over the older, veter- older veterans. So. <laughs> and at least in Cooper's stance here, here's an individual who actually went through what you would want any individual in certain organizations. He went through and did the work and worked his way up a ladder. And that's something that should always be rewarded because success followed him or he followed success. Whichever way you like to look at, but then he changed into a completely different individual and it's not like his roster NHL coaching type. Yeah. And it's not like his roster stayed that similar. There's been a lot of changes on Tampa from, you know, their first conference finals run, you know, what was that? Six years ago. Then, you know, they made the cup finals one year and they, there's been enough changes around the fringes where, maybe the same things would work with the newer players. Maybe you don't have to focus on what you're teaching or telling Stamkos and Kucherov on a day-to-day basis. You can just work with other players more closely and just have trust in your quote unquote employees. Even though it's really the GMs, but that's another story, but just trust in those players. They kind of know what they're doing. Let them do things. And let me focus on the players that are new here and, set expectations and learn a little about them to, you know, drive results that you hopefully want to see. Well, and that's, that, that's where he's shooting himself in the foot, right? He's doing, mm-hmm. he's going about doing things like everybody else in the NHL does by focusing on his star players and ignoring like coaching the younger guys coming in wonders at why there's such turnover with the younger guys coming in. Cause they end up getting shipped out because they're not doing 
way he expects them to. And and then he's stuck with an aging core with nobody to replace them. Because <laughs> yeah, what happens when you can't play Hedman and McDonough 75% of the minutes? I what mean, happens? You know, it's like what happens when you have um, Kucherov, Stamkos, Palat, Johnson, whoever their star players are these days. They're suddenly, you know, in their early 30s and you have nobody coming up behind them. Yeah. Do like, and you're a- in Stanley or, and you're in cap hell. Yeah. <laughs> Do you win a cup if Braden Point wasn't drafted and happened to turn into the player that he's become? Because you can't exactly take credit for that. He was kind of his own player. Well, and and Cooper, that was that was after Cooper went to the NHL. So Cooper didn't develop him in the AHL. Exactly. You know, and and Syracuse has had some like coaching turnover in the meantime. So, yeah, I mean, do they have outside of Braden Point? Do they have anybody else? It's, you know, under the age of what, 28? And, and it's all because back, Cooper doesn't bother to coach the younger guys. <laughs> That's the cool. bottom line. It's not a matter of of who they're drafting necessarily or who they're signing. It's Cooper not giving those guys a chance at the NHL level. Bringing back your football analogies and how they're trying to mer- you know, conduct business the same way. NFL players come in much more polished, much more experienced, much more coached, whereas hockey players are the exact opposite. Yeah. You know, the the most talented hockey players for years and years and years are left on their own to just, okay, let your talent take you where it's going to take you. Some players turn into Connor McDavid's where they're self-driven. And then other players have to adjust once they hit the NHL level. Say like a, you know, a top five pick who turns out to be a, a, you know, a 15 year career player, but who's not putting up close to a point a game. He's a, you know, he's like a, third liner career. Exactly. Third-liner. You know, that's a player that had to adjust because, well, one, they're just trying to keep their job. And two, they they had to figure out something different than what they've done. It makes me wonder, maybe they should change the NHL draft rules. I proposed something, you know, several episodes ago where it's just, maybe you shouldn't just pick a bunch of 18-year-olds and just add them to a quote-unquote reserve list. Maybe you should wait till they're more fully flushed out players and let them say, all right, I'm ready to turn professional now and see what happens. Exactly. Cause like, is anyone go straight from high school to the NFL? No, there's barely any, there's barely anyone that does that in the NBA or major league baseball. I mean, it does happen more often in those two leagues, but there's barely anyone that does that. And in the NBA's case, there was a run on players and they turned out to be some busts, some players okay, but for every LeBron James, there was a Alexander Digg situation, mm-hmm. to use a hockey parallel. And then I think that's kind of self-corrected itself, where, okay, maybe you go to another level and you only go there for one year, but you're getting you know, a different level of coaching, different experience from different voices. And honestly, you're spending a different dedicated time to refining a craft. Yeah, I've never understood the whole, this guy is burning it up in the OHL, let's get him in the NHL now, thinking. I've never understood that. It's like, well, if we keep him in the OHL, he won't learn anything. It's like, okay, so change the AHL rules. And that's strictly and, been a product of the salary cap system. Because think of think of how much the average age of a player has changed on a roster. Going back to our question of the week, it was I said it was about the team core. Back in the late nineties, I mean, team cores were they were all in their early thirties. No, they were all. I mean, you didn't your top your top defenders didn't weren't considered like peak until they hit at least twenty eight. Yeah. 
You and their peak went from like 28 four. to like 33 or 35. Yeah, you were expected to get do your apprenticeship and get 400 games under your belt before we, you know, considered you good and put you in these situations. And that's gone by the wayside, but we're conducting oh, business. That's because the 0405 season was a reset. They lost the entire 0405 season. They implemented a salary cap. And all of a sudden, the quote-unquote peak for a, a forward was 23 years old. And it's like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> it was like 26, 27 before, like two years ago. What are you talking about? And, and, and so, it was at least five years after where this reset paid dividends for the league. I mean, there were the financial implications, but as far as quality of player, you know, I think it benefited Ovechkin and Crosby's career, especially with Crosby. Once he got his health situation in order, it probably allowed him to be more of a dominant player than we had seen it in years. But then it's taken a while for all these other players through no you know, nothing the NHL did. It was just everyone else below them. Players were developing more skill because they weren't getting murdered. You know, so. Yeah, and I mean, and then it, it was also helped by the fact that when they lost that season, a lot of older players, because they weren't, 0405 was kind of that transition where players, the older players were still doing the, I'm going to, you know, get into shape at training camp rather than I need to arrive to training camp in shape. And so while now players would be in a better position to lose a season, but still be in shape, you know, game shape or playing shape anyway, um, to start a new season, 0405, the older players were not. And so they really shed a lot. There was a whole lot of retirements that nobody heard about um that season and so it wasn't just a a money thing it was also a personnel thing because suddenly you didn't have all those older players anymore yeah all those older players that were financially set and didn't have to go over to europe or go to the ahl to basically keep their jobs or to hopefully secure a future job when the league did come back, no, they could just sit pretty and hang out or for the ones that went and tried it. If they didn't like it, they probably came home pretty quickly. Yeah. If you were to go on hockey DB, how many guys have a random two to five game stint with a random European team? Right. And I mean, a lot of them were older players and they're like, well, I don't want to be away from my family for so long. I'm just going to go back home and see how the, how, the lockout goes, and by the time the following summer hit, they were like, yeah, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, and that was, but then not everybody could have done that, too, because when you're, when there's a lockout and you have younger guys going back to the AHL, then that means that you've got a bunch of guys who are either out of a job or, you know, they have, you know, sending guys back to junior you can't send them back to college. And then if you they go to Europe, there's only so many jobs in Europe. And then you're displacing local talent if you do that. And so there's there's a lot of people that just couldn't find jobs. And not, I mean, it was the star players that could. It was the um the star up and coming or the potential star up and coming players that could, and everybody in the middle or everyone too old or too young couldn't just wasn't exactly. going to happen. Exactly. So. Well, you know what? Speaking of things that old NHL players probably wouldn't like, I think I have a question for us to end on. Alrighty. So last week, all the buzz around football was Viacom, CBS. They broadcast a game on the Nickelodeon network. <laughs> and it had really strong reviews and ratings. It was a playoff game no less and it garnered the question why aren't more leagues doing this that was the production though from what i understand the actual game itself was pretty dull well 
the Nickelodeon production got got rave reviews. And it probably helped a inferior product that was put out there. The yes. NHL happens to have, oh, I don't know, a U.S. television contract coming up. If you could pick one network on TV that isn't CNBC to broadcast games in the 2021-22 season, what would it be? This has been the 3B3 Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at 3B3 Podcast. We're available for NHL consulting at reasonable fees.